welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost Collective and your mildly witchy podcast host. We're a UK-based film collective exploring the intersections of horror film and feminism. We curate and organise events, screenings and programmes and now also a podcast. In this episode in our series focused entirely on witches on screen, from horror to not so horror, we take on the 1958 Hollywood rom-com Bell, Book and Candle, with an extraordinary cast of classic Hollywood greats like James Stewart, Jack Lemmon and King Novak. This is a Christmassy, fluffy romantic comedy with some seriously dark undertones. Novak stars as the sultry, independent and somewhat restless witch Gillian, who owns a rare African art store in Greenwich Village. Shep Anderson, a publisher, played here by Jimmy Stewart, moves into the apartment above her and instantly gets on her nerves. When Gillian finds out that he's engaged to an old childhood nemesis of hers, she casts a love spell on him to take her revenge. But because this is a rom-com after all, Gillian develops real feelings for Shep and must choose between her magical powers and her love for him. Beware, we do spoil the ending of the film and offer candid commentary on some of the plots and the character details of Bell Book and Candle. It's a very strange film to watch in 2019, and I'm joined by the fantastic Becky Dark, co-host of the Point Horror Podcast and frequent collaborator of Revolution of Horror, to discuss the problematics inherent in it and the portrayal of the witch as a free-spirited, independent woman oozing New York coolness. Oh, and Gillian's also got a warlock brother, played here by the inimitable Jack Lemmon, and a magical cat named Piwacket that may or may not be him mirroring in the background of the recording. thing is she has such wonderful taste in clothes, books, everything. And she paints very well, too. She paints this sort of cloudy style. Did a portrait of last year. She was crazy about it. So I just never did tell her that I was upside down. I, I've known her ever since she was a kid. Becky, thank you so much for doing this. Anna, thank you for inviting me. I couldn't be happier to be here. I mean, we've got a cat. Oh. We've just watched a horror film together. Honestly, it's this the dream. Is... It's like my dream Friday night. I mean, yeah, we've got a Keanu pillow. Oh, yes. We've got a newer McGregor pillow. Yes. Everything is happening. Your pillow game is on point. <laughs> Um, can I can I start off by asking you kind of why did you pick this film in particular? Because you really wanted to do this one. Yeah, um, this is a really kind of nostalgic film for me. I um, I used to watch it with my mum all the time, and it was one that she introduced me to. She loved Kim Novak. Um, she loved Jimmy Stewart, and it was one that we had this kind of stable of films that was like you know wet sunday afternoons what shall we watch um and i very very regularly said let's put bell book and candle on again um but weirdly i haven't then watched it for years and years and years so i went through this period of like intensely watching it all the time and then the opportunity came up to choose a witch film to speak about and you know my brain automatically goes to the obvious top 
witch films. So I'm like, I want to talk about Hocus Pocus. I want to talk about The Craft. I want to talk about The Blair Witch Project. And bearing in mind, I also figured like those were going to be hot property. And so I kind of just wanted to choose something that maybe no one else was going to pick. Um, I'm not sure how well known it is nowadays. Like it's 1958. so yeah, I just it was a nice opportunity to revisit it. And how old were you when you first watched it with oh, your mom? Goodness, um, young, probably six or seven. So quite quite young. What did you think about it when you watched it? I enjoyed it a lot. It it still hit those like playful, quite sort of seductive notes that even when I was a child there was kind of something in there that I was picking up on it's funny looking at it through a 2019 lens it's funny looking at it now as like a 37 year old woman rather than you know a kid watching it with your mum so yeah I'm really interested to hear what you got out of it and yeah I'm really interested to kind of unpick it a little bit it's really interesting that you mentioned that it's it's weird to watch it in 2019 mm. because it is it's very much a film where a woman takes away a man's power of choice. Yes. And it's very playful about it, but there's also quite a big hint of um I don't know quite what the right word is. It's not consent, it's not toxicity. It's sort of like the ability to choose. Yeah. Or even kind of understanding that she has this power over him absolutely and it is within her it's sort of within her right as a witch to exert that power over him but then also there's this there's this real kind of the really big development in her character is that she she makes the decision to let him choose mm-hmm. and it, it it plays out like such a big drama even though it it kind of made re-watching it as an adult and i hadn't seen it in years like probably what was your first experience with it to be honest i don't really remember it i know i'd seen it but i probably saw it on the old tcm channel Mm -hmm. that i used to get in my room when i was a kid so i watched all sorts of old hollywood movies but some of them stayed with me more than others Mm -hmm. this definitely did not stay with me in the same way it stayed with you but re-watching and i remember focusing a lot on kind of the the mechanics of the direction was very you know old school Hollywood romance yes. you know the sweeping camera and the big music so much the, swooning yeah <laughs> it's very dramatic yeah. it's very like oh my god we're gonna kiss for the first time <laughs> yes Jimmy Stewart I know like that intense like eye lock that he yes. gives her as he kind of crosses the room and then just yeah. like does that classic like 50s Hollywood like grabs both sides of her yes. face and kind of yeah 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 and I remember re-watching it um, for this and I was thinking it was like oh, wait, no, she he is not really into her. Yeah. She is orchestrating all of this. Yeah. This is quite weird to watch mm-hmm. once you understand kind of the underlying mechanics of it. And also that she isn't initially doing it because she's like into him. She's doing it from a place of kind of revenge yeah. on this other woman. Yeah. So that kind of, for me, sort of brings something else into it because it's not just that she saw this guy and she really liked him and she's got this power so she decided to kind of make him hers actually she talks um at the 
sort of beginning of the film saying you know she doesn't steal other women's men and um she you know she kind of criticizes Meryl as like this bow stealer um and she's kind of she says that she likes this guy upstairs and she's looking for something different but in no point is she actually pursuing him actively until she decides to take that step of like getting back at mm-hmm. her kind of old school um rival Sure you don't mind? Of course not. We're delighted. Oh, that's very kind of you. There we are. I believe Miss Kittredge and I know each other. Oh? I don't seem to remember. Wellesley. We were in the same dormitory. Yes. Yes, of course. You were that girl who used to come to class barefoot. (laughs) They put you on probation for it, didn't they? Somebody wrote a note to the dean about it. It's almost like a reverse she's all that. Yes. In the sense that she's, I mean, she's not making a bet with anyone, but she's sort of taking revenge on another woman mm-hmm. by taking away the man that she loves. Mm-hmm. But and not really of, from any point of, like, desire for him. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And then, you know, they do end up falling in love and yeah. stuff. But it, you don't really feel like she wants him mm-hmm. at all. It's just a play thing. Yeah. Which is now seems to be quite a radical film to have made in that era and with those like very recognizable stars as well at that time i mean you know james stewart um kid novak and jack lemon who had completely forgotten was in this <laughs> he's the best thing about it in my Absolutely. opinion i love yeah. nicky he's so great he's he's amazing but like there were some of the biggest stars in hollywood at the time mm. and they're making this like quite creepy occult romantic comedy yeah did you think of kim novak as Gillian. I think she's I think she's wonderful and I think for me quite formative in what I then pictured as like the Hollywood witch or the witch on film for so long afterwards and she's she's seductive but she's smart and she's kind of Obviously, uh, so she's got um, Pie Wacket, her mm-hmm. um, familiar, and but she's very feline herself. There's points where she's got kind of leopard print lined coats and things. Um, her wardrobe in it is just spectacular. And my mum was always very into fashion and kind of instilled an interest in that in me. And I remember one of the things that we loved most about it was kind of ooing and ahhing over Kim Novak's clothes in this film. Um, that sort of backless dress that she wears and I mean she looks witchy in in inverted commas you know she's got these sort of flowing black robes and um, sort of cowls over her head but very 1958 New York it's like it's incredibly clever the way that they've placed her in that place and time but still made her look in this very sort of stereotypical which um kind of wardrobe i guess yeah because she's um she's presented as quite very confident yes quite sassy in in kind of very subtle ways you know the way her relationship with nikki and with queenie their repartee Mm. i mean she's clearly the one in control in that whole scenario but also you know she's incredibly sensual in her movements and her clothing but not over the top which Mm -hmm. is the kind of the very 50s 
vibe that you were describing, but also she feels like a 1950s bougie witch. Yeah. But also just taking those small recognizable elements, even down to when she's actually performing magic and it's all so stylized. It really mm. actually made me think of Annabelle as the love witch in yes, many ways. I can see that definitely. In the in the kind of over the top styling styling of the film as well. But just those hints of what an on screen witch should look like and in some ways the way it's shot as well those quite intense close-ups of her face and you know she's made up in a very um dramatic way her eyebrows are so incredible um and as you say when she's when she's actually performing the magic and kind of working um with pie to kind of the humming and stuff like it's so um intimate do you think it's almost over-sexualized in a way? Like, because of the... It sort of creates this mythology in a in a small way of kind of witches not being able to fall in love. Like, mm. they can only fall in love if they're manipulating their love object. Mm-hmm. Because if they fall in love for real, they lose their supernatural abilities. So kind of what, what do you think that... Do you think about how that is used? Because that's quite an interesting take on the witch which has always been presented as a siren and a seductress but that's never kind of been an either give or take it's just an element of their personality on screen yeah i actually this is one of the elements that i found a little more um jarring watching it now is that she's very much positioned in this way of being this strong confident woman who you know is the kind of leader in a lot of her relationships she becomes this force over Jimmy Stewart's character but she can't have it all she can't have it both ways and for me that felt as I say kind of watching it as a an older woman like that felt quite 1958 to me so she can be powerful she can have control she says at one point I live this very kind of free lifestyle I think the fact that the film is based in like the village in um, New York as well it kind of centers it around this kind of counterculture that was like really exploding in the late 50s early 60s the kind of beatnik jazz age that obviously is so beautifully portrayed in the Zodiac Mm -hmm. Club and you know she is positioned as this um, quite sort of she is she's walking around in sort of black pedal pushes and you know black roll necks and stuff like she is almost like this very modern woman she's got control she's got freedom um, over her own decisions over the way that she lives her life but she can't also have love Mm. and if she falls in love if she gets that other thing then she loses something of herself she loses some of that power and control and kind of autonomy that she's had and cherished so much about her life so I found that a little more difficult now looking at at it through my slightly more mature eyes Hmm. it feels very much like you can have let's say if witchcraft is her career you can have the career you can have love Mm. you can't have both Mm -hmm. which feels very kind of dogmatic and forcing the female lead to choose one or the other to choose kind of herself or to have a meaningful partner yeah absolutely and um when the the spell has kind of taken over um jimmy stewart's character and he says to her at one point he's like you know i'm 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 good for nothing like i can't concentrate on my work and but at the end of it 
they fall in love and she has she's become human she's lost that power she's lost that part of herself but I assume he just gets to go back to his publishing job and then what she just runs her flower shop that she now does forget the fact that she's got a qualification in anthropology and used to have a shop about you know like masks from all around the world like now she's wearing white and running a flower shop yeah that's that, a bit weird yeah yeah and what did you think about kind of jimmy stewart's character <laughs> <laughs> that's telling <laughs> i just i just can't i can't think of jimmy stewart without laughing like he's just the most <laughs> incredible performer the the bit where right towards the end where he's having the spell lifted and he has to like drink that gunk that's been brewed in the cauldron by the other witch and just his physical comedy his performance of trying to drink this goop that he just can't get anywhere near his mouth just has me absolutely rolling so Shep's character on the whole I mean he's an asshole like he really is thank you yeah you know he he apparently is head over heels in love with this woman so much so that they've decided they can't possibly wait to get married so they're going to get married the next day and then what a weird thing to do that's very odd in the first place i guess 1950s and then you know he can't stop talking about her and and then now i know it's magic fine that kind of gets him to call it off and fall in love with another woman but he doesn't really fight it very hard, does he? I mean, it it happens rather easily. Um, And then that breakup scene where he breaks up with his fiance is, it's presented as comedy, but I found it quite troubling, Mm. especially because he tries to gaslight her into convincing her that actually he's doing her a favor yep and i remember make, i even made a note it's like he says something like i just don't want to seem to marry you anymore casual like yeah right? yeah and then also like oh you wouldn't want me to marry you without really wanting to marry you yeah and, and he's like oh i'm you know i'm such a cad like somehow him admitting that he's being an asshole makes yeah. him less of an asshole yeah and also i did i did flag that there was a beautiful moment that really made me giggle when i was rewatching this is when um his fiance is like are you jilting me and he was like I'm, I'm not let's just call let's just say we're uncoupling <laughs> which i thought was like oh god okay oh god. this is where they got it from yeah. <laughs> I would have thunk it. love it but he is he's so he's not really appealing in any way so i almost kind of even though it's kind of interesting kind of the boundaries of the gray areas of consent and kind of how he's used by gillian to enact revenge on this woman he he's he's kind of a boring asshole Mm. in many ways Mm. but also you know there's jimmy stewart and he's so charming and so likable and so beloved that anything that comes out of his mind that doesn't seem so bad yeah i think it was very clever casting or just very fortuitous casting because there are a lot of actors who wouldn't have been able to play that character with so much charm um and to actually because, you know, I I do want them to get together, you know, as a, as a romantic comedy, for me, it's successful in that. Um, but no, I mean, you're right. He's, he doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities. <laughs> He's Jim Stewart. Yeah, that's the that's, main one. <laughs> that's the redeeming quality right there. But it's, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It does succeed as a romantic comedy because 
it's also quite interesting to see them play off of each other because yeah. Kim Novak is playing it as though she's in a super serious witch movie. And Jimmy Stewart is like, this is a romantic comedy starring Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that is so true. So that kind of imbalance between them yeah. m- makes for such great screen chemistry. Absolutely true, yeah. The other thing that really struck me is Nikki, mm-hmm. played by Jack Lemmon, mm-hmm. the comic relief. I this. know. He's amazing. He's His facial expressions, like he can just... And also like the way... What I find, yeah, he brings comic relief, but one of the things that I love so much about the presentation of witchcraft in this movie is how much of a kick they get out of it. There's no angst. There's no sort of hair pulling and self um, flagellation about any of it. It's like, we can do magic and it's really fun and we're going to use it in the best possible way to make our lives better and to make our lives fun in kind of 1950s New York. And it's very kind of um, consumerist as well because yeah. they're very much like, oh, we're just going to make, we're just going to conjure free shit for ourselves. <laughs> we're going to go out, we're going to have fun, we're going to make sure everything goes our way, we're going to live our best lives mm-hmm. through these uh, through these kind of magical abilities that we have. It's very, you know, they're all quite proud of being just servicing themselves and their own interests constantly but then i i mean yes you're 100 percent right but then you also get just to make it so to sort of re- redress the balance i guess when they're exchanging christmas gifts and he says to her he's like did you witch this or did yes. you buy it and she's like no like I, I think actually she says something like um that's as rude as asking me how much I paid for it. Yeah. So, and I love that as well. Like those little kind of comparisons between like the everyday witchy life and like us, you know, meager humans. And with Queenie as well and the scarf that she buys her. It was such a beautiful moment when she like puts it on and it's like, oh, it's a magic scarf. I was like, no, it just, it looks nice on you. I just thought it it was pretty. And also with Nikki, it's his, it's like that sense of mischief that he brings. There's something about old magic um, that does play into kind of mischief and mayhem. And I feel like Nikki's character really brings an element of that to this. Like he doesn't do a huge amount with his magic, but he like turns out the street lights and he makes the car horn blast when those that couple's like making out in the front seat and like it's that sort of that glimpse into the kind of more old school like yeah mischief of magic that I enjoy from him and do you think that kind of he's there to play off against the more serious and almost borderline manipulative image of the sort of the female witch I think so I think yeah I mean in terms of Gil's character there is very much this. So what I find most um, scary about witches as, you know, movie antagonist Mm. is this power that they just have at their fingertips. And you don't know, just like Jimmy Stewart's character doesn't know, when you may be being manipulated by a witch, they could have, for whatever reason, cursed you or cast a spell that's influencing your life or influencing your own decisions and that to me I think is a bit of a control freak (laughs) kind of I find that 
scary and Gil's really kind of embodies that side of things where she is seen as manipulative she is seen as um kind of taking no prisoners in terms of just getting what she wants she's you know seen as vengeful um and yeah I think I think you're right I think Nikki's character balances that out quite nicely so he's mischievous but there's no malice there at all so it's it's interesting that both Nikki and Shep's character kind of lighten Gillian's Mm. in many ways because um, either through brotherly love or through romantic love with Shep she's sort of her edges are softened and you know we could argue that why should her edges be softened Mm -hmm. in many ways but that she is presented as the as the protagonist of the story and you know it's it's still a a commercial classic Hollywood film so there is this imperative that she must be likable and must be redeemed so you know she needs to be a likable witch in many ways but there's this underlying darkness in her that's the thing that I really clung on when I was re-watching it it's like oh this is actually quite dark Mm. in many ways what did you think about the actual mythology or kind of the actual magic that they create so the spells the rituals the way that they use it kind of this world that they create for themselves we sort of are insulated with them so we only really get to know them and how they live but there is strokes very broad strokes of other witches Mm. living in new york and in other places as well again i really like how much enjoyment they get out of it so when um nikki has bought Gil the summoning potion you know they're like let's use it now you know and they all kind of gather around almost like it's a kind of like a Christmas parlor game you know that we might you know exchange gifts and then play Scrabble like they're let's let's exchange gifts and then we'll summon a guy from Mexico like it's just the most natural thing to do Sherry Um, (laughs) and you do get other glimpses, so with Mrs. De Pass, for um, example, so when you go into her house, and that to me feels very stereotypical kind of Hollywood witch house. So there's like a talking bird and a cauldron bubbling and jars of um, kind of unctions and like newts and things, scarves sort of draped over lamps. And I it's a very textbook presentation of sort of popular witchcraft I suppose and you don't get to see a great deal about the kind of deeper lore you learn that they can't blush they can't cry if they fall in love they lose their powers but that's also presented in a funny way because you learn that through this guy who is writing books about witches, but actually is presented as a figure of fun. You know, in that scene where he's brought round and he's in the living room with them and he's kind of saying, oh, I could spot one a mile off. And there's the three of them sat on the sofa, just kind of giving him the eye. Um, You know, he's very much the figure of fun at that point. He's telling us these facts, but actually it turns out that those are true. And so the the information that you get about the witching world seems very shaky and yeah you I didn't find it super satisfying I guess I'd like to I like the kind of you know the more gritty side of things it's very rose tinted in many Mm. ways like there's no darkness to it you know like the 
there's no kind of association with kind of occult figures no. or with, no summoning know, of demons yeah, or, yeah none of that all of the spells like you mentioned before are very sort of very commonplace you know it's and like, playful oh, yeah exactly which gives it this sort of lightness mm. that makes sense for kind of how this movie is positioned but we've touched a little bit on it but i'd like to dig a little bit deeper into it kind of what for you were the darker elements of the film mm. i think i think the kind of stance of manipulation of gill's character and the that that idea of of consent and the idea of kind of punishment as well witchcraft as punishment so um you learn that um meryl who she was at school with she <laughs> So Gil wouldn't wear shoes to class because she's too cool for that. You know, she's a witch. And so Meryl writes a kind of poison pen to the dean and like tells tales on her. So she gets into trouble. And Meryl's got this fear of thunderstorms. So Gil for weeks absolutely racks you know the skies with thunder and lightning and you get the impression that Meryl like really kind of suffered through this and you know teenage girls especially one who finds themselves wielding such power um, can be spiteful and they can take things too far but that feels like quite a like it feels like she's going quite far for just being told off for not having shoes on in class um, and that really feels like a punishment and then really she's held this grudge for years and years and years runs into this woman and then to just punish her again she takes her man away who at the beginning she doesn't even have a huge amount of desire for and as you say you know as a kind of um commercial early uh like classic Hollywood film um, rom com, you sort of think, you know, she's the she's the protagonist here, and actually, um, if you dig into, if you dig beneath the sort of the fun of it, that's some quite dark kind of. Do you think? I mean, as you were speaking, I was just thinking, is her powers being taken away in a way a punishment for her? malicious nature the fact that she has this ability to wield this power and she uses it not just to further herself but to to damage and to hurt other people i don't think that is the key reading but i think it can definitely be read that way um i think she the problem that I have with her powers being taken away at the end is this idea of her not being able to have it all. Her, you know, she was so autonomous. She lived this lifestyle that she chose, that she relished. Um, and she kind of, she can't have that and have love. But I think you've got a point. I think, you know, she she does use she does sort of use her powers for evil um and yeah the fact that they're taken away from her at the end i think could i think it could definitely be argued i mean it's very petty evil yeah but still evil yeah yeah how do you think this film has endured in terms of on-screen witches i think yes i think it's got a lot of tropes and kind of classic hollywood presentations of witches and witchcraft that 
perhaps now, perhaps post the craft even, but definitely post the witch, um, isn't, uh, it's, it's not all bubbling cauldrons and um, sort of red scarves thrown over lamps in the corner. And, um, you know, I, th I think there's a much more sympathetic and um, I think the look of witches and the look at witches nowadays comes from a place of history and understanding and fascination and that's not what you get from this this is a fun little witch film but you know you said yourself there's elements um in terms of the kind of look and and her presentation that then show up in the love witch um and there's yeah those sort of tropes around spell casting and how a witch's kind of home would look I think they were very pervasive down like down through the years kind of how do you think you mentioned it a little bit before but how do you think even it fit in with the represent representations of witches on screen that had come before it that's a good question I think it's interesting that we're kind of talking about witches in a romantic comedy rather than witches in say horror films or more genre films so if you think about if you think about um witches in horror like even like Macbeth and the kind of cackling old crones and you know warty witches and pushing kids into ovens it's the absolute antithesis of that you know Kim Novak is this chic woman living this wonderful like quite enviable life in 1950s Manhattan you know she's she's beautiful and powerful and um you know surrounded by loved ones and has these very complex relationships with people um that is the absolute antithesis of you know these sort of warty old crones who live in the woods and and summon children to boil them for supper so I think that's you know that would definitely be one of the elements that to me when I was younger and watching it with my mum was you know extremely appealing this this beautiful woman who's able to use these sort of innate powers that she has as well like you very much get the impression that these are it's almost genetic these are innate powers that this family has and you sort of get that impression that um, throughout the community of witches that these are sort of natural powers they're not necessarily studying magics and kind of learning how to harness these forces and I think as a young girl that was something that was very um appealing to me that you can kind of harness this this power that is innate to you and uh, kind of shape your life the way that you want to thank you so much that's so insightful oh thank you for having me no here. that was amazing and where can we find more of your work so my 
my main sort of creative outlet at the moment is my Point Horror podcast. So my best friend Jill Nolan and I host a monthly podcast looking at the 1990s um, teen horror fiction books, Point Horror. Um, so we read a different one every month. So we are, um, don't point that horror at me, um, but across all the socials, we are Point Horror Pod. Um, you can also hear me uh, guesting on Mike Munzer's podcast, Evolution of Horror. And there's a couple of things in the works for next year around um, some other very niche kind of 90s nostalgia. So watch this space. And that is all for another episode of the Final Ghost Podcast. Please do rate, subscribe and review on social media, iTunes, Spotify and any other podcast listening app that you use. We're on all the socials at The Final Girls UK. I can be found tweeting cat memes on Anna B. Demented, and today's guest, Becky Dark, is on at Bunny Drake. Mm-hmm.